Hello, Gavones. A uh, quick note before we start the show. Hog Planet has a Patreon now. It's at patreon.com slash hogplanet. Why support Hog Planet? We want to use this platform to showcase writers, activists, content creators we believe in, all of which uh, cost money. We want to pay our guests. So we're launching this Patreon so we can cover business expenses. What's in it for you if you subscribe uh, as a reward for uh, monthly support? Patrons receive bonus content, including the endings to longer episodes, as well as patron-exclusive videos, podcasts, original artwork, and more. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Hog Planet, and this is your uh, twice and sometimes more than that weekly podcast where we weigh, tag, and grade the various hogs of politics, of culture. This is Dan Spaventa, joined, as always, by Samuel Lewis. Hello, Sam. What's up? How's it going over there in New York City, Dan? Well, listen, it's been a big day of news, but we'll get to that uh, uh, in addition to many other things. With our uh, esteemed guest, uh, I want to introduce him right off the top. It's uh, our good friend, Ray Jed. Ray, how are you? Hey, folks. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. We're really happy to have you on. Uh, you have some interesting experiences being uh, a man of uh, Delaware. I sure do. There, there were a few pieces of news before we get into some Delaware-specific items. Retreading hog material that we've already, or, you know, hog terrain we've already blazed before. We can revisit the Tulsa oklahoma trump rally where we just learned just announced today it's very tragic that herman kane has tested positive for covid19 and is currently receiving treatment in uh the atlanta area he's got the dry cough um ray do you have any memories of herman kane's presidential run now if i remember correctly he was the pizza pizza shop owner godfather's pizza Right. Uh, I'm nothing really specific. I just remember he was kind of like a dull man. Uh, I think this is the first I've heard from him since that whole campaign. I believe that was the one where Mitt Romney won, right? It was that election. Yeah, I want to say that. Jeez. I think he also. I think he was also doing pretty good when in 2016 for a while when um you know when obviously Trump got the nomination. Right. The thing I specifically remember about Herman Cain was when he was like, I don't know everything about like world politics. I can't tell you what the capital of Ooze Becky 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 Stan is. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I'll ever remember about Herman Cain. And oh, he also had like the five 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 deal, which was <laughs> made no sense. Uh, it was like an economic plan for the United States, but it was really mainly just the name because I mean. Dude sells pizza. He so pizza he's, guy. he's got to stick to what he knows there, I guess, and like stick to those kinds of slogans. So here we are. It takes a, it takes a very specific type of guy to be like a really prominent black Republican. You know, you got you got Carson, the most prominent black Republican. I would say, is that wrong? 
He's up there. I mean, we lost um, whatever happened to Michael Steele, man. Remember him? I think he, he, he was like, he was like the RNC chairman for a while. Um, I think he was honestly maybe too normal to be in the crowd. I want to say he went never Trump, but I'm not positive. Yeah. Because he's not doing the, like, you know, nowadays I hate to, to do this, but like, it's the Candace Owens, it's the like diamond and silk, you know, now we don't have like this, you know, upper, we don't have like Thomas Sowell or anything. There's no like, you know, highly respectable black Republican class that, you know, we used to have, or like the black conservative back in the day. It's now just like, who is willing to say the worst thing possible about black people while simultaneously being black? Yeah, it's pretty much their move. <laughs> the um, Thinking about the Tulsa rally, I wanted to ask Ray this because I can't remember any Trump rallies in New York. Were there Trump rallies in Delaware since 2016? I feel like I heard of one. Um, I feel like I heard of one back in like 16. Uh, it was down here. It was downstate. I want to say like Camden maybe, but I, I don't know for sure. So I was reading about how the people at these events uh, view Trump as essentially a really like a David, like a God, a like Judeo-Christian second coming figure. Could you see people that you know in Delaware kind of embracing that? Oh, definitely. I mean, like the, the vibe around here, the people who are into Trump definitely do see him as like, you know, he's going to go in there and like take down the deep state, you know, knock out all the bad guys in Washington. And like <clears throat> the frustrating thing is there's just no like concept to them that you know he might not have any like political experience but as a super rich guy like he is just as much like the man as like the clintons are you know yeah it's funny how they see him as like outside of that establishment somehow even though he's literally like personal friends with the clintons right. <laughs> you know my theory on why Trump is successful has always been just that he's been on TV before and people have seen him on TV before. Mm-hmm. And uh, TV is really his way. medium. I did, I, in a previous episode, I remember talking about how my, I have this theory that um, most of us, we, when we see people on TV, we can't relate to them. We don't know them. We're not going to meet them in real life. They're not going to give a shit about us. But Trump is obsessed with TV. And also, all the people on TV are people he like, knows and to some degree or another or could get in contact with and that's only gotten truer as times goes time has gone on now he's like literally the president and um yeah it, like he does see his own world on tv whereas we don't and it's like this truly disturbing thing because he's just as tv mm-hmm. tv obsessed as any of us but he actually has like a stake in that world he like actually could play in that world whereas we could not <laughs> yeah and yeah obviously this isn't like the hottest take in the world but the fact that he is like you know vulgar and says he's like awful bigoted things it's the things you know like during the trump administration like the conservatives on tv would all be very like pc you know they would like couch these horrible things like oh it's actually about jobs it's not that we're we hate mexicans you know it's about jobs but you know the conservatives not on tv like you know the ones you worked with like were just saying outright racist shit you know and then Trump was, you know, the guy who would also just say straight up racist shit. And then he's he's also uh, got Stephen Miller in the cabinet who is uh, implementing that racist shit into policies. There's been increases to the power of the police in the Trump administration that uh, people are in the streets protesting right now. 
Yeah, and he's also ramped up drone strikes as well abroad. Um, I still don't know if he has like something on the scale of the Iraq war on his hands, but definitely has like, we've seen the, I guess the use of drones become totally unhinged and unrestricted. Not that it was ever like within something that, something that was within normal, you know, the, the normal course of war, but it's something that's gone completely off the rails with Trump. So it's not just people here. It's also brown people abroad, but. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, one of the big things here with, like, the Trump fans around here, the contradiction is, like, it's the kind of person who hates the police when they're, like, pulling you over for speeding or something and making you roll your window all the way down. Like, that to them is, like, you know, Marxist, like, Orwellian, Stasi-type stuff. But, uh, you know, then the people protesting, like, real police brutality are, like, whiny libs to them. Isn't it? It's just that same culture war bullshit. Right. They can't. They can't see anything outside of that lens. What really like makes my head explode is just like their take on authority. How they can be so ready to like decry authoritarianism and then like on a dime support it, and not even like not even attempt mental gymnastics either. Just like holding these two contradictory beliefs and just like yo, what about it? Yeah, or like people who. Um... I know some people who have like joined, you know, the, the military and they had this kind of like serious anti-authoritarian streak and they maintain it as part of the military. <laughs> and yeah. they're like, you don't want to be, you don't want to be like stuck under the boot heel of the man, do you? And I'm like, you literally work for like the large, <laughs> like the world's largest military force. Like you're, I, I don't know. You're a stormtrooper. Like <laughs> There's a way to explain the nuance of it where they're like, I guess, they feel like if it's done to them, it's some injustice, but if they get to do it to other people, that's their freedom and some survival of the fittest, you know, race is kind of nonsense, but it's right. not necessarily worth going, delving into with, uh, at the, on this uh, surface level here. Yeah. Well, I also wanted to point to, uh, so that was our follow-up on the Tulsa Trump rally. Herman Cain has coronavirus. Uh, let's see if he pulls through. I also would like to bring up that on the day we record, we have some breaking news. Good thing I printed this out so I could read it. Here's, you printed it on like the most crumpled up piece of paper possible. The <laughs> listeners cannot see this like a Mediterranean scroll that you've like pulled out to read off of. Ghislaine Maxwell, associate of Jeffrey Epstein is arrested. Ms. Maxwell was arrested on accusations linked to the sex trafficking charges against Mr. Epstein, who killed himself. Nearly a year ago, this is from the New York Times, uh, Nicole Hong and Benjamin Weiser with this breaking news alert. Ghislaine Maxwell, a longtime associate of disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein, was arrested Thursday on criminal charges linked to his alleged sex trafficking operation, according to a law enforcement official. Ooh, someone leaked. Ms. Maxwell was arrested in New Hampshire. Uh, anyone surprised by that? New Hampshire? Huh? <laughs> 
libertarian uh, paradise. It's where you can go to get off the grid pretty easily and still right. stay on the East Coast. I don't know. The arrest came nearly a year after Mr. Epstein was charged in a federal indictment with sexually exploiting and abusing dozens of underage girls at his mansion in Manhattan, his estate in Palm Beach, Florida, and his other locations between at least 2002 and 2005, and we know uh, way before that and after that. Um, the indictment said he paid the girls, one at, at least as young as 14, to give him massages while they were nude or topless in encounters that typically included sex acts. Mr. Epstein hanged, hanged himself in August in his cell at the Metropolitan Correctional Center in Lower Manhattan. where he was jailed pending trial on the federal sex trafficking charges. Ms. Maxwell, a longtime confidant and com uh, companion of Epstein's, had for years been accused of helping to procure and groom young girls for the financier, including instructing them on how to pleasure Mr. Epstein sexually. She did the literal, like, put a condom on a banana thing. And uh, she, she also, a number of the victims said that she took part, at least partially, in the there were group um, sex molestation. Yes. There were like group yes. sex activities Jesus as well. Christ. So it's not just that she was grooming them and providing them and then like closing the door. She's like, she, she took part in it as well. And right, she was closing the door, but on the other side. The daughter of the British publishing magnate, Robert Maxwell, who died mysteriously on his yacht, Miss, Ms. Maxwell also helped manage Mr. Epstein's properties and introduced him to the high-profile celebrities and business executives who would form his social circle. Civil lawsuits have accused Ms. Maxwell of managing a network of recruiters that Mr. Epstein relied on to entice young and often financially strapped girls and women into his scheme, promising he would help them with their education and careers. Quote, they were like partners in a business, Mr. Epstein's house manager Janus Banasiak said in a deposition, she orchestrated the whole thing for Jeffrey, one of the Epstein's accusers, Sarah Ransom, who sued him in 2017, told the New York Times in an interview. And that's just how it ends. I guess that's the quote there. She orchestrated the whole thing. Sam, yeah. uh, Ray, what, what's our, what's, what, what do we think about this arrest? Because I honestly never thought it would come. I, I thought she was out. Uh, I, even if you didn't follow the case to, to, the, to a T, like this is pretty big news. I mean, we, we got him, you know? We got, so, we got another one down, baby. Right. Do you predict uh, uh, a suspicious uh, jailhouse death in this case? Because I, I, that's that's the first thought I came to. When I, when I yeah. I mean, you know, these people have done so much horrible things. Depression, it's only, you know, only makes sense that they would off themselves, right? <laughs> I, I don't like how the press releases unquestionably say that he, he killed himself. Yeah, they could at least like, say, like, under mysterious circumstances, he hanged He himself. died under, yeah. I'm surprised, honestly. Like, Epstein not killing, like, that's the kind of thing, like, you know, my, my mom doesn't think Epstein killed himself. You know, like, that's not, like, wacky internet Mainstream shit. as hell, yeah. It seems more likely than not. Like, literally by a preponderance of the right. evidence, it seems like it's more likely that he didn't kill himself than he did. Um I don't know. Some other details about this arrest are pretty entertaining. Uh, Jelaine was living on a 156-acre property in Bradford, New Hampshire. Um, that is where she was arrested. And this property was, of course, 
acquired in an all-cash purchase just back in December. Um, the <laughs> prosecutor said that the buyer's identity was shielded by a limited liability corporation, like a pass-through company. Um, I mean, of course, she knows she's a lady who knows how to get away. Yeah, I mean, and again, New Hampshire being like this kind of wild, woolly state that you can definitely be left alone in. Uh, right. It's very fitting. I, I feel like every detail that's come out that has ever come out and that continues to come out about the Epstein story is like more Epstein and more on the nose than you could possibly even write. Yeah. I, I have like a, a good friend like who follows that thing pretty closely and he says it's like every detail of it is just baffling. Because it transcends party lines. It transcends like every level of like power, every industry, like of entertainment, government, mm. business. And it's, it, it's, it, it entangles like as Nancy Pelosi's idiot daughter said, uh, so many of our faves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing that ties all the Epstein stuff together is really uh, those with capital abusing those without capital. Like at the end of the day, it's impossible to view it in any other lens. And I think that's also why it's so captivating, you know, for people on the left, because it's like this weird little microcosm of what happens under capitalism. You know, these mm -hmm. elite perverts are just abusing us and, you know, exploiting us and then lying about reality in order to confuse, you know, the masses and everything. It is just like a perfect little microcosm of what the, of what the elite do to us on a daily basis anyway. I mean, <laughs> things like right-wing people are um, like obsessed with the Epstein thing too. There's a, one of this guy I'm friends with on Facebook. He's like a right-wing conspiracy guy. He's a pretty entertaining figure, but like he just posted about like this arrest, you know, like this fits into his whole like QAnon thing too. This is like a conflict I have because like, yes, there is like an elite sex trafficking conspiracy uh, that exists, exists uh, and existed for many years but it's like it's not that donald trump is gonna like come in and like stop it <laughs> like right the crux of the QAnon uh theory right no he's implicated in this like he is at least as friendly with jeffrey epstein as anyone else at least as friendly as the clintons and yeah. um he also has that extremely damning quote that comes up all the time where he's like jeffrey epstein loves loves the party great guy i've known yeah. him for years but uh he loves women especially on the younger side some even younger <laughs> than i like yeah. very like, nonchalantly like it's just so fucking on the nose you know yeah. like like of course there's a quote where he's like he likes women young women you know like <laughs> why would you throw that in there it's like a what, what's his name chris delia or whatever yeah yeah <laughs> the king bird He's like, oh yeah, sure. Like, there's pedophiles in Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find and drop that audio in right here because it's Crystalia saying, it's basically him saying that. Come on, there's no pedophiles in Hollywood. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And as a pedophile in Hollywood. Um... Your boy's Hollywood, man. People that think Hollywood is bad. People think Hollywood is evil, bro. Whatever you think that is, that's what I am. It's so annoying when people say that people think something extra is going on in Hollywood. It's so annoying how dumb people are when people think something extra is going on in Hollywood. Like how it's like fucking, uh, oh, well, you know that there's a fucking a, a, a ring of pedophilia that people, oh, really, dude? 
oh, there's a ring of pedophilia that the top producers know about and confide in each other in and keep kids and pass them around and fuck them? Oh, really, dude? <laughs> oh, yeah? Or are you just bored and sitting down a lot? Uh... And I'm not, that's not even alleged. I mean, the, the text messages are out there. Um Yeah. I don't even know where to go from here. The Epstein story. We're going to talk about, that's going to be our first Patreon, um, like monthly uh, bonus full episode. We're going to do an episode on uh, the, uh, we still don't have a guest yet, but we're going to do an episode on the Netflix Jeffrey Epstein series and further developments in the case. So subscribe to our Patreon. Sam, what can people get if they go to patreon.com slash hogplanet? Well, it's crucial to note that we are flagged as an explicit podcast. So you have to, you can't search for us on Patreon. You have to specifically type in patreon.com slash hog planet, or you can find the links on any of our social media platforms. But, um, but yeah, we have on there, we have multiple levels, much of which are very affordable. You can get access to a bonus, like Dan said, a bonus episode. They're going to do monthly just to start, but we'll ramp that up as more people subscribe. <laughs> We're searchable now. I fixed it. We're searchable oh, good. now. Woo! Yeah. Okay. okay. So honestly, it's, it was kind of. It was kind of cool when we weren't searchable, though, right? Like we we're like we were shadow banned. I'll, I'll get them to it was it punk, back. dude. Get us yeah, banned again. Right. Anyway, um, <laughs> also on uh, we do one of the things that you can get even at like the lower the lowest tier is uh, extended portions of episodes. When we run long, we usually will have a bonus topic that we bring up with the guest that will is going to get put behind the paywall. You can hear things like uh, Dan and I complaining about our jobs with brian quimby from street fight radio that's one of our first post games um it's all kinds of good stuff and of course dan has also committed to sending art to people on one of the tiers hand-drawn art that he will find some way to get to you (laughs) i've been doing a lot of watercolor sketching and uh crayon art and uh and combining the three and i will i will find a way to send them to each patron several times a year yeah, and totally. And we're going to also try to do other mediums. We're, we're going to do bonus videos. Uh, we're just getting started here. And the Patreon is not to pad our pockets. It's so that we can pay guests and so we can pay our uh, pay for our Zoom account and all this other stuff that we have to do in order to run a podcast and bring you voices you will not hear on corporate media. Like our friend Ray Jed. And uh, Ray, uh, any other comments on Epstein before we move on to uh, more of your uh, experiences? Fuck everyone involved with that whole thing, really. Yeah, it's it's the kind of thing where like you know what's the most frustrating about it is like I feel like we'll never get let in on what exactly happened, you know, very eyes wide shut sort of like you know oh, yeah. you don't know. There's so much that is just never going to come to light. The uh, terminally online question that's been racking my brain all day is is Jerlaine Maxwell a Karen? <laughs> huh. Well, based on her style choices Definite Karen in terms of her like tacky sort of um Sam, did you see those pictures from the Truanon uh, podcast account? They showed a bit of a gaudy uh interior of this uh of this shitty uh New Hampshire log cabin. The kind of place that would cost so much money, but it's it looks like a hotel styled it or something. Yeah, I mean that that checks out with the Epstein school of de- of interior decorating, both with his uh his mansion in Manhattan, which was like the largest private residence in New York City. Yeah, there the list of things that were in there and bizarre art and like Yeah, okay. Ghislaine kept a literal skeleton in the closet and she thought it was so funny. So that's what we're dealing with here. 
this woman deserves to be in prison. Yeah, but, and on the nose, a skeleton in the closet. Like, yeah, and she geez. loved it. Or if you ever saw any of the decor of the Zorro Ranch in um in what Stanley, New Mexico, where all these states where you go to just not be bothered, right? right. Like New Mexico, New Hampshire. Um, we're just probably gonna be one in West Virginia that we find out about. You know, all the states where just you go to be left alone. But um, yeah. But yeah, no, there they had all this bizarre like. I would call it Southwestern, but it's sort of like if, you know, um, with some of the mafioso people in North Jersey wanted to design what they thought a Southwestern ranch looked like, which is, I don't know, bizarre, like tons of gold, massive Renaissance era, like crucifixes and stuff. Just Hell truly yeah. bizarre. Let's move forward into uh, Delaware specific and uh, more uh, stuff Ray can give us an insight to. So... Uh, my specialty this is ray's specialty ray can you introduce a little bit of like your background for for our audience so they can have a little context <laughs> yeah sure uh i'm just a guy from delaware uh i was born in newark delaware which is like a college town uh it's right next to wilmington the biggest uh city in our state which is not saying a whole lot but it's true uh, Wilmington actually has the distinction of having the longest uh, like military occupation uh, by the U.S. military of any city. Uh, during like the 60s, maybe the early 70s after the race riots, the National Guard occupied Wilmington for like months. And I mean, that's just a neat fact about Wilmington. But yeah, I mean, I've lived in Delaware my whole life except for about a year. Uh, now live in Southern Delaware, which you know you would think like a state as small as Delaware, there wouldn't be much of a difference top to bottom. But the fact of the matter is like the difference between Wilmington and Newark and the surrounding towns and Sussex County where I'm at now, it's like two different worlds. Like this might as well be Dixie. You know, it's crazy how big of a difference there is just to the small little state. So we're talking Confederate flags, like we're talking like yeah. Southern pride. Well, uh, to be fair, there's also some Confederate flags uh, upstate too. But uh, yeah, there's definitely a few uh, stars and bars around town. <laughs> My experience with Southern Delaware is mostly going to like Dewey Beach or Rehoboth and stuff. Because that's a right. common beach destination for people in the D.C. area. And uh, definitely from the, the vibe I've gotten from there is it is like a more rural, I guess, than the north of the state, which has, like you said, Wilmington, the biggest city. And um, yeah, lots of farms, uh, lots of Trump signs down there. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, that, I, I, I would I kind of have a sense of what you're saying about the difference between the north and south, even though I don't have a huge amount of experience being in Delaware. Right. Yeah, it's like, you know, like the beach, it's like, you know, there's that little strip where it's like touristy and then like the locals are like generally pretty liberal or progressive or whatever. Um, then once you go inland, man, it's like Republicans and like libertarians and all that sort of thing galore. Yeah, I got that vibe as well. And um, a ton of people in the D.C. area also have beach houses in Delaware because of Delaware's super low taxes, I think. Right, Especially yeah. compared to D.C., Maryland, or Virginia. Yeah. Yeah, so they, nothing with Delaware is we get taken advantage of, like, our tax laws. There's so many corporations that, like, their official headquarters is just, like, a filing cabinet in Wilmington because they can 
get a bunch of tax breaks for being in Delaware. Yeah, I think the number on that is like almost half of like U.S. corporations are incorporated mm-hmm. in Delaware. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, you also have just, you must be so proud of your big boy, Joe Biden. About oh, to do the yeah. Thing, about to do Ascend, the thing. Hell yeah. Ascend He's going to save the country, baby. He's going to restore sanity world. for all of us. Joe Biden in a Captain America suit is going to save the fucking world. Fuck yeah. Make America sane again. That's all I'm talking about. uh, Ray, I assumed you were, you know, as far as electorally, I'm assuming you were, uh, you know, Bernie guy. Uh, Would that be wrong? You know, I I was a Bernie guy. I was like, uh, yeah, he was like the compromise candidate. You know, like I'm pretty far to the left of Bernie, but like he was on the ballot. I'm definitely going to vote for him, you know. What is the temperature where Joe Biden is from, uh, the state he's from? I mean the people you've worked with the people in you, you, that you know in your family or whatever the people like do people like this guy so particularly like up in newark i remember like during the bush administration uh during the obama administration he was very popular uh, among liberals obviously you know conservatives thought he was you know the second coming of trotsky or whatever but you know liberals loved him you know and it was like a point of pride that he was from delaware uh and lately like it's been going kind of like lukewarm you know like obviously the people i know who have like you know become communists uh since 2008 don't like him anymore but even like the people who are still just liberals are kind of like embarrassed by him it seems you know there's just too much information out about him for like sane people to still be proud of that guy you know yeah i will say my my mom who um is definitely on the on the kind of on the beat of we gotta vote for anybody to get the to get the cheeto out of the office which you know I, i sympathize with she is not thrilled about having to vote for Joe Biden. She supported Bernie in the primary. And even though now she's worried that a lot of people who are demoralized are not going to vote for Joe Biden, she, mm. you know, she still her, herself isn't really a huge fan of him. And I mean, he's, he's had enough gaffes and just like he's bad on policy and he's bad in his terms of his, his poise. But right. yeah, it is interesting to get that perspective from within Delaware about how they see him because He's also sort of a weird microcosm for how capital works, where his, you know, close ties to credit card companies and banks and things that have their headquarters, you know, massive corporations that have their headquarters in Delaware or incorporated Mm -hmm. in Delaware. It seems like he's much more deferential to them than he is to anyone, especially people, people from Delaware or even people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, not to get too bogged down in Biden talk because uh, we could just talk about how much of a piece of shit he is all day ray i want to hear about your recent uh job that you just left uh we were talking about it before so uh i want to hear what it was like uh at this job would you mind describing it uh at at least like an initial sort of like what the hell this this place was like see i've actually had two of the most delaware jobs of all time uh representing both parts i worked at a credit card company for almost a year and uh more recently i worked at the chicken plant in georgetown for like three months and it's uh the purdue plant 
and it's you know exactly what it sounds like you know like a truck pulls in with a bunch of alive chickens they come in and they leave packaged ready to go to grocery stores i worked in the it was called dark meat debone department so basically i stood in front of a conveyor belt and to my left you know down a chute would come these chicken thighs with like the bone well the bone obviously but the leg bone was still attached and also in front of me there was like these hooks is the only way i can describe them like they weren't very sharp but they were like meant to hold basically i would take the chicken and hang it by the leg bone onto these hooks and then the hook would go off like into this machine where it cuts the bone and then pulls the chicken off and it goes onto another conveyor belt where someone else hangs it a second time and that pulls the other bone out and it was disgusting disgusting work so when did you start the job uh in terms of because i know you were there during some of the covid uh or at least like the height of covid right yeah i started like at the end of february so oh, like Jesus. yeah Yikes. <laughs> like as i was applying for the job was when like we were like seeing it on the news as like oh this is going on in china but it's like you know kind of a big deal um yeah and then a couple weeks later it was here you know so psychologically you know did that did it did it mess with you just to see the kind of the ramifications of like you know how our meat products are made how our food distribution uh you know the supply chain you know like actually seeing what it's like uh i mean cope not really only because like uh you know like growing up in the internet age i was like aware that the way meat was produced was like absolutely disgusting i didn't really have any illusions about it being like humane or clean or anything like that um so it wasn't like fun to be a part of it but it didn't like shatter any like innocence i had about how chickens were prepared you know most of the psychological damage done there was like uh being an industrial worker during the covid pandemic really yeah i remember there was a big fear of like people getting sick at what the the pork processing plants in Iowa I remember hearing about and uh, some of the other like larger I guess meat processing plants in the country and so did they like how I guess you can, you don't really know if you started during the COVID thing maybe you don't have a be the best idea of like what it was like before and after but like what role did that play in or how did you have how did your uh, plant have to react to that when it became like such a big deal? So, like, one of the first things they did was, like, face masks, like, every day when you would walk in, they'd give you a face mask you had to wear. And for a while, it was really all they did was just have us wear these face masks, which, like, didn't really do anything. I mean, I guess it kind of did, but I was already wearing, like, a hairnet thing that would cover, like, this area because of my facial hair. By this area, I mean, like, my mouth and all that but yeah for a while it was just the masks and then uh a few people got sick actually at my job and at least one person died and so after that one of the workers called osha uh and osha came in and like i don't know if they tore him a new one i like to imagine they did you know that's what makes me feel happy is imagining them getting their uh, asses chewed out but after that they put up these plastic barriers in between us. So like, you know, the conveyor belts I was talking about, there would be 
two, three, like sometimes four of us all in front of the conveyor belt, all hanging these chickens. And then after OSHA came in, what they did is put up these plastic barriers so that, you know, on either side of you was plastic rather than just a person. And the other thing they did, the other big thing was have someone taking our temperature on the way in. So like even just coming in from break, they had like a thing that, you know, like it just scans your temple to get your temperature. And there was no like hazard pay, right? There was no, there was no talk of like. They raised my pay by a dollar. Okay. Uh, I heard that they took it away sometime after I left. Um, Which as if the crisis is over. and everything. Right, because the hazard's over now because yeah. the restaurants are open. Literally today, I don't know if I mentioned it on air yet, ha- supposedly was the highest amount of new cases in the U.S. since right. the thing started which is like fit over 50,000 new cases in one day. So, and The thing is, even the precautions they did take, um, so the big thing is the, the temperatures were bullshit. Uh, you know, when I was working there, I worked overnights too, so it was like cold. The temperatures, you know, they would tell you what it was. My temperature was usually like 90, 91 degrees is what it said. And the people taking my temperature would be like, oh, you're good, it's 90, go on in. It was like if you had gotten like a, a, a under the thumb or an under the tongue thermometer test and it said that your temperature was ninety, yeah, maybe like you're about to die. You have like hypothermia or something. That was like ninety eight is the normal human temperature, right? And I'm wondering, like, do these like do people like not know how it works? Do they not care? Like, I think a combination of like they don't care enough to like actually like they see a 90 they should if they're taking temperatures they should know if they're taking temperatures they should know the correct temperature that they should be seeing and they should even be like oh this instrument doesn't work i I think what is is their boss told them like if it says 99 then they've got a fever and they gotta leave i think that's the only instruction they were given so like anything under 99 they're like must be good like Goes back yeah. to the need for uh, Medicare for all and like actual healthcare, and not just like mm-hmm. bullshit, you know. Because if we had that, then there would be someone who could conceivably actually, uh, you know, do those checks, uh, and it would be conceivably provided by the government or something. I don't know. Right. And the thing with uh, the plastic barriers is uh, the first night that I worked where they had them in place. Uh, we were incredibly short-staffed because people just stopped showing up to this job. So, like, every night, departments needed people switched around because, you know, since COVID, like, people, like, literally just wouldn't show up. And uh, so, yeah, the first night where they had the barriers, they brought me to a different department and just had me working next to somebody. So, like, on my right was plastic, and on my left was, like, a guy working. (laughs) It's like, so, like, they're not even going to use the fucking things. Aren't they one of the biggest chicken distributors or, like, chicken comp? Like, aren't they, like, the, the chicken company? They're pretty big, yeah. I mean, I, I see their products in, like, grocery stores all the time. It paints a bleak picture, and even even this was after they took precautions. Like, you pretty much were thrown to the wolves in terms of, like, having to actually do your job. Right. It kind of goes to show how just, like, Having the focus be purely on work, you know, workplace regulations, having it be like in this country, we are obsessed with this idea of tying healthcare to your employment for some reason. Yeah. Uh, both with health insurance and also because 
being sick is like a huge liability for your company. Apparently, like that's the mm. biggest concern as opposed to your health. Should, your health is a public health issue. The COVID nineteen thing is a public right. health issue because like one or a few people can we've seen spread to a ton of people. You spread it geometrically, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, it's just I guess like when we don't have a, a system a system of universal healthcare when we don't have just like a more general approach to it of keeping people healthy for the sake of keeping people healthy, you get this sort of thing where it's like, well, what we're going to do is give you this thing because someone told me we had to, you know, if it, if it meets this number, then whatever, I'm not questioning it, move on, right. let's get to the next day of work, I guess. Yeah, a lot of my coworkers too uh, were immigrants. So that kind of, you know, explains why the conditions were so shitty, you know, like migrant workers are just not treated well. They're treated as like disposable, you know? Yeah. So were, were there conversations like did the, did the workers there talk to each other or was it a very like isolating experience? It was pretty isolating because I mean, one, there's all this like loud machinery. And then on top of that, we're wearing earplugs and the ones who aren't wearing earplugs have like headphones. So we're going like entire shifts really without like talking to each other yeah, and it's hard to, you know, even to like air your gripes with like what what's going on at work if you don't even have a chance to speak with people who you work with. It's yeah, it must have presented like kind of an extra challenge because it's not like it's not like you can like you know not even like to the level of like organizing, but even just like showing solidarity with your 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 you know coworkers. It's like you can't even barely do that because you gotta just put your earplugs in and get to work. Yeah, it's like you can't even show, like, solidarity on, like, the most basic level of, like, you know, oh, yes, the weather does suck today, you know, like, you can't, there's, like, no kind of interaction. Um, I mean, it's not that it wasn't permitted, but, like, situationally, like, the situation didn't permit that sort of thing. Yeah, it's funny how you hear all the time these days, all these like office working people complaining about how they're like, I don't even see my coworkers anymore. It's like, well, if you really wanted to, you could quickly send them an email or just God forbid, call them if you felt so, if you feel so isolated. I mean, not that it's anything like the level of what you're describing, but my employer has been pulling bullshit, like within seconds of getting an email from the, you know, the executive committee, whatever, then I get people on my pay grade messaging me on like the instant messaging system. Just like, what the fuck is this? This is garbage. Right. Like instantly starting this conversation. And you know, the difference between what you're talking about being on the line, wearing earplugs, like loud machinery and shit going literally physically distanced after the OSHA thing from your coworkers that's yeah. like you don't have any of that kind of free space whereas like we're all you know sitting at home just like typing shit into the computer there's yeah. plenty of space for us to like organize and stuff but it's become this that, big bourgeois thing of like oh i don't have i don't even know my coworkers anymore i feel so yeah. isolated it's like it's oh. like i don't even know them <laughs> also the language thing at my job uh you know there was three like commonly spoken languages like when there would be like signs you know saying like you know you know whatever sign it may be it would have like the english one and then there'd be spanish and then some other language i'm not sure what it was um but yeah there was a lot of like people 
Yeah, from all over, really. And, uh, you know, like the chance that you speak the same language as the guy next to you is like not even a guarantee. And because of that, like a, a lot of like the racist white working class shit was popping up, hmm. uh, which was like pretty disheartening to see, you know. Could you be more specific? Uh, not in a, you know, you don't have to. Well, yeah, just like, uh, for instance, I remember once being on break and uh, there was like a white guy sitting next to me. And, like, the break area was, like, there's these, like, picnic tables, like, right next to the parking lot. And, uh... Very welcoming environment. Uh, right. <laughs> and, yeah, so me and this other white guy are at a picnic table, and someone drove past... I think he might have been from Haiti or something. And I don't remember what kind of car it was, but it was, like, a nice car. You know, it was, like, one of the, like, a Mustang or, like, you know, some car everybody wants. And the guy was, like, oh, like how does he have a car, but I can't afford it? Like it's, it must be because he's like Haitian, like, you know, and uh, that sort of thing where like, you know, anytime a non-white person has something nice, they must've cheated the system to get it. Cause we have the same job and I don't have a nice car, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. There's this idea that like everyone's in line waiting for the American dream. And like, it's this assumption that, white people are on top of that or at the front of that line or should be because we were here first or something some dumb right. shit like that and the you know inevitably if whites are on top then you know black and non-white people are on the bottom so anytime i see someone who in their eyes has achieved something that they haven't been able to achieve yet they're like you must have cut the line there's, there's some been some impropriety here like, right i've been waiting here and doing the right thing for all this time I don't have my Mustang. What the hell is that? He must. And it's because it. those are the same people who will then will be like, oh, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, like I deserve a Mustang. But if you like can't afford like macaroni, then you're just being a crybaby. You know, like if you're literally like starving, you're a crybaby. But I deserve a Mustang. Like just for being a white guy with a job. I don't know why that for a large segment of Americans, and this is hog planet, so we talk about the hog-like people, which, uh, you know, we say are, like, oversatiated, but, you know, I think guys who, like, are so envious of anyone who has more than them in a way that it, it, it almost feels like uh, this person of color having more than me, having a nicer car than me, it's just, it's just the ultimate, like, hog opinion it's like oh well if only like like i got what they had then i would have everything right yeah and ho i mean hog culture also transcends class and race and sex but it, it definitely skews rich white and male for sure right i imagine hogs tend to have like the blue lives matter flags is that the kind of person we're dealing with absolute blue lives matter sticker giant pickup trucks that have never hauled anything <laughs> Yeah, you have like a, a $45,000 Ford Raptor pickup truck or something. And you're like, it's a big, you know, dick measuring thing for you. But like you said, you've maybe you've driven it off road once or twice. Or maybe you've had some friends in the cab or something. But you've never yeah. like hauled anything. Right. Several licensed firearms that you've never actually shot or learned to use. <laughs> but, but they are licensed. Yeah, right. I don't know. It's it's uh, hog culture is very. We have a general kind of definition, but I feel like if you go through the canon of what we talk about, you you kind of understand. It's it's Ghislaine Maxwell is certainly a hog, but 
So yeah, it's a mindset. So is, you know, so is a guy who owns a pool supply store who a hog mindset. It's a hog mindset. Yeah, yeah, maybe we should do a book, um, the hog mindset. Oh Ooh. yeah, like Cernovich. Right. <laughs> I mean, the, he already kind of wrote the hog mindset, but <laughs> yeah, unintentionally. Why did you want to leave that job in in the <laughs> purest? Uh, you know, not not. It seemed to, like everything was going so great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it seemed like it was so fun. It was just like mind melting you know like that's the only way i can kind of it was like nobody likes going to work but going to work was such a chore and uh like i just like some days i couldn't bring myself to do it you know especially when everyone's working from home and sitting around and complaining about like oh i have to bake bread now and oh yeah play and it's like yo i have not and i you know I was someone who worked from home, so I, you know, right, right. You know, I'm not saying I'm a, I'm, I'm above this because <laughs> I certainly uh, took up some hobbies in quarantine <laughs> while you were busting your ass at the chicken plant. But it's like, yeah, how does that make you feel? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, my Facebook feed was like filled with people who were like going crazy in quarantine, <laughs> and like, what, what, like, I found happening was like because. Like, you know, I mentioned, like, I wasn't talking during my 10-hour shifts. Like, I was still, like, just as socially isolated as any of these people. But I was also, like, doing disgusting work at the same time. So I'm still having the same, like, you know, like, quarantine brain as everybody else. I just also, like, smell like raw chicken. And it was a truly, truly rough time. (laughs) So how many months was it overall? It was like three months. Uh, yeah, like I said, I started working in February, and then so that's March, April, end of May. Uh, like three and a half months, probably. I worked there. It was like the middle of June. We we salute you for being, uh, you know, on the front lines during COVID. I mean, that's you know, essential worker. I, you know, I, I guess that's you're considered that, right? Yeah, I mean, like you know, I making the food that Americans eat. You know, like. I was the guy feeding America for three glorious months. Not just those fucking Trader Joe's uh, cashiers. There's right. Supply chain here. Yeah, but- we had a we did discuss briefly on a on a previous episode about how the whole essential workers discourse was so annoying because you keep saying how essentially these people are. You do the you know New York City clapping at seven p.m. like banging on pots and pans to thank the essential workers and everything, but. At the end of the day, your employer is not treating you like an essential worker. They're treating you right. like the most disposable kind of labor. And right, even society a- broadly is like saying, you know, anyone could do this job. And I'm like, but you've, you are literally feeding America. It's like <laughs> if, you, if any, just anyone could do this, then why would you eat meat or chicken specifically like ever again? Are you kidding me? That's the thing. All those things that were like, Oh, well, these workers are so brave. They're heroes. Oh, my God. Salute the worker. I, like, found that more condescending than anything. Because I was like, no, I'm not a hero. I'm a worker, and I just want to be paid, like, fairly for my time. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, there was, like, a higher risk involved. But, like, no, don't make this dumb Facebook post about me. Or I guess it wasn't about me, but about, like, people still working, you know? But, like and like do something to make sure that we are treated like fairly you know like if it's just empty words then like just fuck off that's how i feel 
Ray, I see your face in every essential worker around the country, but um, <laughs> no, I'm just, obviously I'm just kidding. But the, um, no, I, I think there's a something with like, specifically with liberal brain or, you know, progressive do-gooder brain where they're like, we can't possibly uplift a subset of society without ascribing these magical or like superhuman qualities to them yeah you know after doug jones was elected in alabama all the discourse around like black women saved this country and it's like all this like magical black woman stuff all this like yeah there's always this new class of people that they're uplifting to become the saviors of the u.s it's no accident these people are were so messianic about obama it's not like the right doesn't do this to some level because they're certainly messianic about trump oh yeah it's so widespread and like lefty or liberal sides of the of the political s- sphere or whatever yeah like you said like they can't just like appreciate something or like work to like help out a group of people like so they need to like make all these things about, you know, like you said, like the black girl magic or whatever, like, you know, everything needs to be like this amazing flowery thing instead of, you know, just working for something. And and so often it's, it's devoid of like material sort of like demands. And that's why it's with some of this, uh, you know, uh, police uprisings. Now, I think we're seeing like a lot of groups with like a lot of like, you know, varied demands for their communities that are, like actual like this is like what protesting actually is right it's like not just like showing up like generally to be like we don't like the this guy but it's like no like all right we want this is what we want right yeah like a lot of libs like treat protests as like a glorified petition you know not as like a, a challenge to uh you know whatever power structure they have a problem with which is you know what a protest ought to be yeah it's very telling how how the protests that happen in cities where there's actually like property damage we've seen further steps like you know minneapolis to taking mm-hmm. steps to get rid of its police department after people started burning burning precincts in the city and stuff like that and yeah. there's this idea that like liberals have that we can we can change the world without any violence whatsoever and i'm just like that has literally never happened at any point in history i mean even if you don't want to be violent, I can guarantee you the people you're fighting against are have no problem being violent, which is what we've been seeing with these, exactly. these uprisings. Is cops just taking the uh, taking the excuse to go fully riot on people, go completely you know ape on people. The the anecdote I always bring up when I'm talking to like Delaware liberals about violent protest is um, in Middletown, there was uh, a young man who got into a fight at a party. Like they were like 18, 19, everyone was drinking. And uh, this young man got into a fight and was killed by like the guy fighting him. And the guy who killed him like didn't face any consequences because his dad was a police officer. And uh, the young man who died was black. And so there was a a protest in Middletown, you know, calling for, you know, something to happen to this kid, you know, for some kind of justice. But it was like a totally like by the books. Uh, I I worked with the lady who was there and she was all proud. She was like, you know, and and the police said that we were the most well-behaved protest they had ever seen and da-da-da. And, you know, when I'm talking to like 
Delaware liberals in Newark, who for context, that's like 20 minutes away from Middletown. That's like right next door. They had never even heard of this. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, because since they played by the cops rules, you haven't heard of it, which meant nothing happened. You know, like nonviolent protest is not, I mean, it can be, but you know, I guess what I mean to say is like playing nice with the cops is not going to get you the goods, which you no. can see is, you know, it, it couldn't even travel 20 miles in Delaware. Yeah. It has to be adversarial or else there's no point. Yeah. Like, I, you know, like I said earlier, even if you want to be nonviolent, I guarantee you the cops don't match that energy. So whenever people, uh, whenever protesters or any other, you know, any oppressed people like black people, get armed and start fighting back, then it always becomes like, wow, how has this gone violent? It's like you started the right wing, you know, the state starts off with violence. They like, that's their baseline. And then the protests usually have to like match that. And then the right, right will escalate again and start being the shit out of you because, you know, Dan's, Dan described uh, going to a protest in Brooklyn where the police were, you know, fighting people physically. Um, I've seen Pepper that in spraying. DC. Yeah, no, I, 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 it, it happened in yeah. Delaware, uh, Camden, Delaware. Uh, the cops beat up a bunch of protesters, and Camden's like a small little, like it's one of these like small Delaware towns. So it wasn't like a thousands and thousands of people, large protests. You're saying? No, I I don't know. I I heard it was like a few dozen, maybe. I mean, maybe I'm off there, but it was small. Yeah, I mean, I got to imagine that in small towns, you know, a lot of times also small towns like the ones that Dan and I are from have really well-funded police forces, especially for the population that is there. And yeah. I got to imagine that in like uprisings in small towns that aren't used to that at all, like New York City, D.C., they're not alien to protests at all. They, I got to assume that the police there with all their resources and all their like prejudice go even harder on and even like the small protests that happen there. I don't know if you can right. say that from your experience in Delaware, because, you know, we are trying to get a sense of like outside of our major coastal elite cities or whatever, what the, what this movement looks like. Right. Well, that's certainly what it seems like. Um, like I mentioned in Camden, uh, I don't know the specifics of what happened in Dover. Dover's our state capital, but like the police, like, were beating people up at the protests there as well. In Wilmington, uh, there wasn't so much like, I don't know if the cops like beat anyone up, but I do know that like they brought out the riot gear in response to the uprisings. And of course, you know, that there was some goofy liberal in Delaware who was trying to convince uh, people to march with the cops after all that shit. Can you imagine just thinking that that was the solution here? Like, what what would even the like the optics of that be? Like, we're all together on this. It's like, no, we're not. Like, they are decidedly not. Yeah, like that's the point of these protests is they are like anti-police brutality protests. I think there's also a, a disjunct between people who think that they can reform the police which is what i think a lot of these people who are like let's march with the cops like let's move rise above the differences between us those people are just assuming that after the protest the police will continue to exist whereas the point of the protest and i think this time around 
it's been, they've been really good at articulating this. The point of that is that we're protesting so that we don't have the police anymore, or we don't have them, at least in the current state they're at now, that we start getting rid of the process of getting rid of them because we don't want them there anymore. I think that's another big difference is there's a lot of people who are like, we wish the police would be nicer. And then there's a lot of people who are like, they're going to be like this no matter what. The police mm-hmm. are descended from slave patrol groups. I mean, like, let's not have any illusions about this. We need to start getting rid of the police as an institution in the U.S., which you know, I think I, is the right forgot, choice. And I forgot about this, but um, I had read, I read a book called, um, I believe it's Hitler's American Model, and it's about how the Nazis learned from Jim Crow South uh, in order to formulate how they would uh, exterminate the Jewish people. So it's like, America is where a lot of fucking cruelty in the last century or future centuries has uh, spawned. And they and Hitler based the concentration camps largely on reservations as well. I heard. Um, I, I don't know if that's just some hokey fake history I heard, but I remember reading that somewhere. And then, of course, our highway system was inspired, which was built after World War II, was inspired by the highway system in Germany, which is which is well, you know, very well known. Obviously, the Autobahn is a world famous highway. So America loves to kind of like <clears throat> repaint our history. Obviously, I'm not the first one to say that, but with like World War II is like. And then we saw like Germany being mean to the Jews and we, we just couldn't take it. So we went over there and kicked their asses because that's, uh, you know, America and freedom. And like, no, like that wasn't the case at all. You know, yeah. like uh, America wasn't like this devoid of racism or like even devoid of fascism thing. That will tell you definitely also as like the descendant of, you know, Jews who emigrated to the U.S., in the around the turn of the century in the 20th century and like lived in new york and stuff jews were not really considered fully white until after the after world war ii and i think a large part of that is this kind of revisionism that you're describing where they're like oh yeah we had to you know the thing that hitler did so bad was being racist something that we in the u.s have never done before yeah Um, and yeah it's, it's laughable on its face you know i have older relatives who still kind of have that like that mindset of like from when before Jews were fully white in the U.S. Obviously, we were never, like, black. We weren't considered the same as black people, but we were still right. not quite fully there. So, Ray, I guess we can move into sort of what is, what is, the, what is the sense you get of, uh, you know, the black liberation effort in Delaware? I mean, is, are there protests uh, going on uh, frequently? Are there, you know, what groups or anything have you seen that... Uh, you know, is doing interesting stuff. So the, there was um like a, a pretty big spat of like protests uh, right after George Floyd was killed, like that weekend, and that was like all over the state. Even in Rehoboth Beach, there was one, and I got to go to that, and that was cool. It was like people uh, like lined up all along the highway. There's like a highway that runs like straight through Rehoboth, um, and there was this one goofy guy who was like the cops were on the other side of the highway and uh, he wanted them to like take a knee with us. And it was like, I was next to that guy. It was so embarrassing. I was like, dude, no, dude, cut it out. Stop it. Like he was just like bad here. Yeah. Right. He was this old hippie. And I was like, man, but uh, (laughs) yeah, outside of that, like, you know, I mentioned Camden, Dover, uh, I know it was Wilmington, Newark, but uh, as far as, like, groups who are, like, doing cool stuff, the uh, Wilmington chapter, Food Not Bombs, is awesome. I've known them for 
a while and for like a couple years now they've been consistently every other week uh providing like free vegetarian and vegan meals to the community and but after the george floyd stuff they really like have ramped up and actually before that they were doing other stuff too like there was a young man who was shot by the police and after he got out of the hospital was like went straight to jail the cops had like some like trumped up charges brought against him and even though the state didn't have a case they kept pushing back his court date hoping to you know basically get him to plead guilty to something he didn't have to plead guilty to and food not bombs worked uh, with the community to like get him out of jail so he didn't you know have some bullshit charge on his record and yeah, just a, a lot of things like that. They had a community bail going uh, for any like protesters who got locked up during the protest. They had a, like a bail fund going for that. There's like, they've started recently like a free store, they're calling it. And that's like, again, it's got like packed lunches, tampons, condoms. They, they provide Narcan, like really just doing awesome stuff up in Wilmington. This is all that free stuff I've been hearing about that socialism promises me, huh? Finally, you know, after the four years of Bernie Sanders campaigning, we're finally getting that free, free stuff. Yeah, it seems like the mutual aid, uh, and I have friends involved in that in New York. It seems like that is something that's going on uh, everywhere. Yeah, I, I know there was, um, they had run into, you know, some complications with COVID, but like, gotta give them credit because they like kept right on pushing like right through that pandemic you know which is awesome to see because you know like the state certainly isn't taking care of uh you know the citizens of wilmington so it's really cool that somebody was doing something you know yeah i was really worried at the outset of the COVID 19 thing that it would be a huge issue for the for the left broadly for like collective action because the whole point is that we have to stand together, that, you know, divided, we're, we're weak, but united, we are strong. And the whole thing with COVID was that you can't be close to one another. You can't, I don't know, you, you can't, uh, you know, work collectively. You can't gather, you can't organize, literally. Uh -huh. And um, so it's cool to see the, how these organizations have gotten around it. And I mean, it's also vindicating these us these days with this this huge spike in COVID cases in the last week or two has not at all been tied to protests. It's been tied to the businesses reopening, people going to fucking restaurants or you know, the fucking hookah bar up the street from me because people need to suck on a metal object. Guess what? We fucking mask up on. at the protests. We're not, you know, we take it seriously. The protesters are doing uh, masked, masked upness better than the cops. Right. They totally well, are. It's not surprising because, like, you know, the people at these protests are doing it because, like, they believe in and want what's best for their neighbors, you know? Like, so they're going to do that, like, in all forms, whether it's, like, the police brutality thing or whether it's, like, trying to flatten the curve of the pandemic. Like, yeah, it's not surprising that these protesters aren't spreading uh, COVID and the fucking... Tell me if I meet the hogs. Would it be the hogs that are spreading this shit with like, uh, you know, I want my haircut. I want Applebee's to open. I'm a pig. 
It seems very hoggish to me. It's very it's hog behavior for sure. It's it's, gotcha. it's, it's positively poor scene. <laughs> they're totally out here like feed me, like serve me, like yeah. what, what about me here? Because they're not they're not like we want to go back to work and earn a living. They're all like we want to go to the nail salon. We want to be you know waited on. We want people to work for us. <laughs> yeah, literally, we want to be waited on. We our brains can't handle not being waited on. And these are the right. same fuckers who think they would win a civil war. Like, you guys can't handle a pandemic. <laughs> Fucking crybabies. Hey, um, Ray, I wanted to ask you this. Um, and uh, if you don't really have anything that comes to mind, we can cut it out. But um, have you had any interesting uh, that, you would, that you would think would be worth bringing up, like experiences with the cops in your life in Delaware? Yeah, I mean, not nothing crazy. Like, you know, I was a knucklehead when I was a kid. Uh, let's see. Okay, I remember when I was 18, I was leaving a party. And I had been drinking, but, like, not much. Like, I literally had, like, two or three drinks, you know. And I was driving to uh, pick my girlfriend up. And I had to pee really bad. And instead of just waiting till I got to the house, I, like pulled over at a church and like went into like this back parking lot for the church. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get out. Uh, I don't even get a chance to do my business because like a cop came in like right behind me and, uh, you know, started questioning me and all that. And he brought like two or three other cops, you know, questioning, like asked what I was doing, like, I told him, I was like, I'm, I'm here to take a piss, man. I got to go to the bathroom. And he was like, oh, shit. Like, I thought you were, like, hunting deer is what he said. <laughs> Which, like, at the time I bought, because I was dumb when I was 18. But, like, saying that out loud, I'm like, no, that's not, that's not what happened. Um, but that's not what he thought. And, yeah, I remember sitting in the back of a cop car. They, like, searched my car. Dude asked if I had been drinking. I denied it. He was like, well, I can smell like the booze on your mouth. I was like, okay, just a little bit. And he breathalyzed me. I was like 0 0.01, I remember. <laughs> and we go through all this stuff. He ends up giving me a ticket for underage consumption. And then he lets me go. And I was like, you know, they're all pulling off. And it's the last one. And I'm like, hey, man, like, you know, I know I'm underage, so I can't drive, but it's very cold. It was, like, December. So I was like, can I sit in my car until, like, someone comes to pick me up? And he was like, well, you're under the legal limit, so you can just drive away if you want to. <laughs> Which is definitely not the case. Uh, Delaware is a zero tolerance if you're, like, under 21. Right, so were they trying to just entrap you again, or did they just not give a shit? Or like, No, they, they, they didn't give a shit, because yeah. I did, he was like, because then he also was like, if you still have to go to the bathroom, uh, I'm leaving. And, like, basically, like, implied, like, told me, like, you know, take a piss and then drive and then stay out of trouble. So then what was the fucking point of stopping you in the first place? Like, all these people were like, they protect and serve. It sounds like they just showed up and shook you down for money, basically. Because they're just like, all right, we're writing you a ticket for something that we don't even think is a big deal. And then we're going to let you do what you were doing beforehand. And, and uh, we're going to go and pretend this didn't happen. Like, what is that? I had a water bottle in my backseat that they must have thought was like vodka or something. Because I went back in my car. It was empty. 
And I had like three flannels in my back seat too, and one of them was soaked, like totally soaked with water. Just it into the car. I don't know what he did, but I had a wet flannel and an empty water bottle. So that's how the cops tested its vodka. They pour it all over your clothes <laughs> you and then try to light to it on su- fire. You have to suck yeah. the shirt. Well, if, if, if it's clad, <laughs> when it hits vodka, the colors switch. There you go. <laughs> yeah, any other general uh, thoughts about uh, you know, before we wrap up, any other general thoughts about the protests and, you know, where, where do you think it's going to move forward and what you hope to see in Delaware? What you hope to participate in maybe in the future? Uh, I, I just really hope that uh, this, like, doesn't lose momentum, you know? Like, the, the weekend that it all started, even the weekend after that, there was a lot of stuff happening, you know, police precincts were getting burned down uh autonomous zones were getting set up and it kind of seems like um and it seems that doesn't mean it's the truth but it seems like things are losing steam a little bit uh at least that's like what my facebook news feed would have me believe um but you know i just hope it keeps momentum uh and you know all the dunking i do on libs aside I, i hope that a lot of them can start to see with both police brutality and the way uh, the working class was treated and is still being treated during COVID that they can kind of open their eyes to see that, you know, capitalism is a broken system and maybe they need to uh, get involved with some more radical politics if they want to see any kind of change. Yeah, definitely for all the liberals who've spent a lot of time especially in the aftermath of Bernie Sanders, just punching left all day and, you know, punching us more than they're even going after conservatives anymore. It's just like, hopefully these, the events of the last few months have shown these people like why we feel the way we do, like why we have gone, you know, why we think we need to go as far as we need to go. It's kind of like our worldviews are being writ large now on in, in these like cataclysmic events and for me, I'm, I just don't have any patience for, I don't know, liberal, even though we want to try to get as many people on our side as possible. I, I'm running out of patience with liberals who still don't see why the left feels the way it does about these sorts of things. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's where, like, a lot of the anger at liberals comes from, you know, is, like, they're not, like, as heartless as the conservatives, it seems, but then they still, like, fall so short of, uh, you know, they still believe in these, like, fundamentally broken systems but um real quick i did have a good conversation with my mom about the police and you know she's like sam you were saying she's a liberal and uh she you know wants reform not abolishment uh but she had mentioned something about how the cops being like a knee on the throat of like uh black communities and i was like "Uh, all right cool so you see that it's a knee like do you think that knee should let up a little bit or should the knee go fuck off and like not bother anyone ever, you know? And then I don't know if that, you know, if in that instance she became an anarchist necessarily, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, she saw that, you know, this abolished police stuff isn't like a bunch of edgy high schoolers, you know, there's like legitimate positions we have. Yeah. That's heartening to hear because, you know, yeah, even, uh, yeah, I've seen my parents kind of like very quickly understood the whole idea that defunding the police uh, just means pat- putting the money in better social programs so the police aren't, aren't needed, quote unquote, they're not needed now, but 
so that we can erase mm -hmm. the illusion that they're needed because indisputably if you put more money into social programs then and like you know a, a healthy welfare state then you you have a better society with less crime right right yeah or maybe we can get to a place in this country where the penal system isn't the largest mental health provider in the United States, which it, I think, currently is. Yeah, it's just, uh, particularly so many, like, um, people addicted to drugs, like, their best shot at getting sober is, like, ending up in jail, which is criminal, that that's the case, you know. Uh, ironic choice of words, but, like, it's, if you're on drugs uh, that you don't want, you shouldn't need to get arrested in order to have access to quote, treatment, because, you know, sitting in a jail cell detoxing certainly isn't treatment, but, no. yeah. It's the closest some people are going to get to it, unfortunately, yep. which sucks, which is fucked up. That's the whole thing we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, I think we can, we can kind of wrap it up. Uh, Ray, I think you've provided, uh, you provided a lot of insight today. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Do you have any social media you would like to plug uh, at this time? Yeah, so uh, I had mentioned earlier, Food Not Bombs, the Wilmington chapter. They are awesome. I cannot stress enough how awesome those folks are. Uh, and their Twitter is uh, at FNB Wilmington. And uh, one of their most recent posts is a, um, it's a GoFundMe for a young man named Jabri Hunter, who was uh, shot by the police, and they're raising funds to get him some good legal aid and so anyone wants to check that out that would be awesome yeah we will include that in the show notes and uh any any of your personal accounts for for, for uh shit posting uh, no not really i mean no yeah, you <laughs> yeah know, stay you out of race shit <laughs> yeah i'm you like to be a private man extremely private guy uh but not private enough to uh deny a podcast appearance with the hogs here oh yeah i, I couldn't deny my boys Let's promote uh, Joseph S. Bags does our music for the show. You can look up his stuff at soundcloud.com slash Joseph S. Bags. Sam, uh, we have a social media for the show. Why don't you plug it away? Yes, of course. Follow the show at Hogplanet on Twitter, at Hogplanet Podcast on Instagram. You can follow me at Wagstank, but most importantly, hit up that Patreon, patreon.com slash Hogplanet. Dan claims, it's, Dan claims it's searchable now. I'll take, <laughs> I'll take his word for it. But um, even if you, if, you, if you want just the most fucking easy thing possible, patreon.com slash hogplanet. Very easy to find. And uh, we're doing uh, Instagram live streams every Friday. So we will be keeping that up this week. And uh, a lot, lots going on. Lots of cool episodes coming up. And uh, I have to say... Also, to follow me on Twitter at Spuventacular and Instagram at Spuventacular. And, uh, yeah, nothing else to plug right now. So, uh, Ray, thanks so much for coming on, dude. We really appreciate it. And, yeah, thank uh, you so much for having me. This was a blast. We'll, we'll do it again sometime. Hell yeah. For sure. Um, all righty. Uh, that's it. This is Hog Planets.